Okay, welcome to the show. In this episode, I talked to James Storley, better known as Tubby. I actually met Tubby while doing issue three of Crude, Arrogant Minds, which focused on the Alaska hip-hop scene. That was in 2015. Since then, I've watched him organize events featuring local hip-hop acts and generally supporting the local scene with his own money. A big part of that was through his podcast, Tubby's Man Cave Project, and his Alaskan ensemble tour, Tubby and Friends. For those not familiar with Tubby, he's a rapper, but a lot of people know him for his commentary on the Alaska hip-hop scene. As I said before, he used to run a podcast, Tubby's Man Cave Project, where he reviewed local albums and weed strains, showcased new songs, and interviewed local rappers. That ran for 72 episodes until he called it quits back in September. We get into his reasons for ending it, including why he became disenchanted with the local hip-hop scene. Okay, so company man time. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, David North, Crystal Liska, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, and the newest company man, Shane Robinson. So Shane actually called me up today. He had just finished listening to last week's episode with my dad, Scott Liska, and was so stoked on it that he wanted to know how he could contribute. He talked to me about how much Borderline meant to him when he was growing up and the influence it still has on him today. Thank you for that call, Shane, and thank you for your support. If you like this podcast, consider giving it a review on iTunes. Thank you to everyone who's already taken the time to do that. Right now, Crude Conversations has five stars and 24 reviews on iTunes, and the Crude Patreon is at over $580 a month right now. Thank you to all the patrons for your support. Your money goes straight back into Crude and the production and promotion of this podcast. It helps pay for sound equipment, mics, audio recorders, computer software, accessories, and apparel. Okay, so back to this week's episode. Tubby. As it tends to go with Alaskans, if it doesn't exist, you build it. Which is exactly what Tubby did with his music, his podcast, and his hip-hop tour. He built something that promoted a culture he identified with and fell in love with growing up in his hometown of Fairbanks. But I'll let him tell you all about that. Mike is hot. Mike's hot? Mike's hot. Is it recording? It's recording. That's what that means, dude. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! What was that? Are we recording now? We are nice. officially recording, Tubby. It's like we've come full circle from the very beginning to now. That's right. I don't know if listeners know this, but you were the original co-host on Crude Conversations. So... I used to do this podcast, Tubby's Man Cave Project, rest in peace. And uh, on one episode, I had you, I had Bryce, aka AK Brizzle, and uh, my brother Ben. We did a podcast episode, and I think after that, you and me kind of discussed doing like a, a crude podcast. Yeah. I think that's kind of how this whole thing started, right? Well, you know, it originally started, the idea for the podcast, I'd been kind of going back and forth about what is going to be crude's flagship. You know, you have, you have like, say, Vice, for instance, their right. flagship is their documentary series, right? right? And so I'm like, okay, what is Crude's flagship? And I'm like, oh, it can't be documentaries. We don't want to be biters. Uh, large percentages of Alaskans still listen to the radio. So what actually happened was uh, one of the original Crude crews, what I said was like, let's all get these audio recorders and we'll have these conversations, these like, these Crude conversations, Right. right? And we'll we'll just produce those, and that'll be the crude's flagship. So that was that was the original idea, and then 
it just kind of morphed into a bunch of different things. Right. But crude conversations, as far as like this iteration, started with your help for sure. And now we're here. And now we're here. You and me have been buddies for a long time. I've always respected you and your taste in music, but the Yawa shirt, man. Joel Ortiz? A lot of people don't know early Joel Ortiz. A lot of people don't even know who Joel Ortiz is, but in my opinion, probably top five uh, Latino rappers, I would say. I'd He's put sick, him, yeah. I'd put him up there with uh, Pun, Immortal Technique, who Benji thought was white. <laughs> <laughs> that was That's a throwback to real, uh, of course. Our, our original uh, yeah. conversation on yours, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah on, on Tubby's Man My Cave. My brother Ben had the nerve to tell us that Immortal Technique was white. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, think he'll ever live that one down. That's fucking funny. <laughs> but recently, I think uh, Bodega Bams is tight, too. Bodega Bams is dope. Bodega Bams is dope. Yeah. Um, who else is tight right now? Um, we got we got Punt. Well, I don't really consider. I mean, Fat Joe is Fat Joe. I just don't put him in that group. A lot of people like Fat Joe. You know, it's weird. As much as I've been, uh, I was a big Punt fan, Terror Squad fan. I just was never a big uh, Fat Joe fan for some reason. I always felt like he bit a lot of styles. Really? Okay. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so last night, uh, I was gonna write like a bunch of talk points and stuff. But me and my daughter were watching uh, Incredibles 2, and I passed out early. And so when I woke up, I saw your text this morning. I was I was already out. So I, I think I passed out like 9 o'clock last night. But I was going to come up with a bunch of talking points. But I was like, you know what? It's been a long time since you and me kicked it. I was like, we're just going to shoot from the hip. So whatever you got, I'm, I'm willing to talk about whatever. Okay. Well, let's drop into this then, dude. Let's do it. <laughs> so for the people who might not be familiar with you, you're a rapper, but you're also a local music commentator. Is that accurate, you would think? Yeah, you know, at 37 years old, I hate uh, I hate calling myself a rapper, even though, in my opinion, I'm one of the best to ever do it. Um, yeah, I like. Uh, I think at at my point now, I'm just I like to make music. Uh, you know, I I uh, up until recently uh, worked on the slope. I've been up on the slope on and off for the last 12 years, and uh, I the, one of the things I hated, I'd never talk about what I did. In my personal life, right? People would ask ask me on the slope, mainly old white men. They'd be like, oh, yeah, so what is it that you do? Like, what are your hobbies and stuff? And uh, I would always just say, I produced music. I would never straight say, I'm a rapper. Because I feel like it's so corny right now. Like, I just, not even at my age, but just right now, just the title rapper. Especially if you're like a local guy. I feel like it's like such a, I don't know. I hate to say corny, but I, don't, I can't think of another word. But um, yeah, I am. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm an artist, and uh, I also blog. Oh, well, I guess that's kind of incorrect. I haven't blogged in a long time, but yeah, music commentator is a good way to good way to put it. I uh, been writing about music, local and mainstream music, since I can remember. Um, you know, I'm 37, so when the internet started to become like a household thing, I was I was already on it in like. Uh, Rough Rider chat forums, Def Jam chat forums, doing like <laughs> nice. the freestyle and keyboard stuff. And then uh, just me being a nerd about hip hop music, I would, uh, back in uh, the MySpace days, I would write my reviews on this album or this song. And then I'd start writing my little year end list. And it kind of started as just like a joke amongst me and my friends, something my uh, my fellow nerd buddies could read. And then it just kind of went from there. So yeah, rapper slash blogger slash wannabe comedian. Uh, Sometimes I think I'm funny, but yeah, I think that'd be an accurate statement. So uh, your Twitter bio reads the Pat Sajak of this Alaskan rap shit. What does that mean? Pat Sajak's been doing it forever, man, and he's still on top of his game. You know what I mean? I just, uh, you know, um, a guy that you and me are not big fans of, but uh, 
riffraff used to do these like rap game such and such rap game this rap game that so it started off as like a joke uh i think initially i was like a ak rap game ron burgundy and then just that's still your instagram yeah yeah and then, and then i was just like i just i think i even said pat sajak in like a rap or something and then i just changed the header to that but yeah i feel like uh i've been active in the music scene since 1998 i was 17 so that was when i started getting like pretty big into the the music thing so uh 1998 i was 17 and uh i put out my first tape in fairbanks and uh, i never looked back uh, it was just one of those things that uh, i was never an athlete i tried to be a skater for a little bit in my early teens and was not that good i still got a mean nose manual but um i started off as a dancer in high school i had a, a cousin come from korea he was like a year or two older and he was a break dancer. And so when he came to stay with us, he would show me these break dance videos, these Mr. Wiggles break dance videos. And uh, he taught me how to basically pop and lock and stuff like that. And uh, one one night, it was I know it was winter. I had to have been like 15 because I wasn't old enough to drive yet. My cousin took me to this place um, in Fairbanks on the south side. Some people know it as a Sunset Strip. But back in 96, 97, it was called Drama City. That, th this was a name of a hip-hop club in Fairbanks right in the butt crack of Cushman. And it was called Drama City. And uh, we went there to go breakdance one night. And there was a local rap label called 50 Below Records that was uh, putting out a CD or something or an album. And uh, they performed at Drama City that night. And uh, me and my cousin and a couple buddies went there to dance. And because I was quote-unquote a pretty good dancer they would let me come in and dance even though i wasn't of age and that night 50 below performed or they did some freestyles and one of the guys in 50 below was this white boy with red hair named red now i'm 15 at the time so this is right before eminem popped off so i don't even think i even knew who eminem was at the time so for me being a non-black rapper i'm seeing this white boy with red hair rap and he was really good you know from my perspective at the time and Right then and there, I, I was like, oh, I could do this. Like, I would kick stupid little silly freestyles with my buddies before then. But then once I saw these guys rapping, they were the first local rappers I ever saw. And Red was the first white rapper that I, I think I ever saw other than Vanilla Ice on TV or whatever. But And he goes by Alaska Red. Alaska Red. We know him as Red. You yeah, know yeah. I mean? And uh, so at that moment, I knew. I was like, oh, th that's what I want to do. And my cousin was such a badass breakdancer. I knew that I was never going to be as good as him. Like, I could pop and lock, but he could do windmills, spin on his head. He was buff. I wasn't able to do flares. I didn't have the strength. So uh, What's a flare? A flare is a breakdance move where the guy is basically on their hands, and they're they're basically just pivoting off their hands. Their feet are up in the air. You've seen the move. It's a it's a common breakdance move, but it takes a lot of upper arm strength, which I did not have. Okay. So uh, once I saw Red and these local dudes rapping, I just right then I remember thinking like, oh, I, I can do this. And so me and a couple buddies started freestyling. That led to me making my first tape. And then at that point, I was just, you know, when I was in high school and me and my two buddies put out our first tape, it got um, a lot of attention. And I liked that attention. And then um, I met a radio DJ that was the he was the hip hop DJ up at UAF at KSUA. And his name was DJ Chris Rock. To this day, I think he's one of the best turntablists out of Alaska. And uh, he had a bunch of vinyl records, and he let, he let me and my two high school buddies go up to his dorm and freestyle over these dope instrumentals that we would never be able to find. And then he let us go on his radio show. So at, in high school, I was already on the local radio rapping. And just the way it felt it was the first time where I felt like I had a purpose. And that was, I've been chasing that 
ever since. So you mentioned kind of this, uh, this hesitancy to call yourself a rapper, yeah. right? So at what point should somebody be allowed to call themselves a rapper? I mean, if you're making music, you're making music. But, you know, I, I, always, uh, I always use the similarities. It's, 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 it's a lot like uh, skateboarding was back in the day. Everybody was a skateboarder, mm-hmm. right? Everybody had a skateboard. Everybody had the, the whatever shoes that they had. And, you know, it was like out of the 10 guys that said that they were a skater, one of them, two of them were legitimate skateboarders. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they were, they were actually skilled skateboarders. I feel like that's the way rap is now. So it's like, like photographers. Everyone's a photographer all of a sudden. Everyone's mm-hmm. got a camera. Everyone's a photographer. They're not real photographers. And I feel that's the same thing with rap. And as a guy who spent the last 20 years investing all my time in, into a, something that I genuinely love, when you look around and you see a bunch of posers, right, it kind of steers you, steers you away from it. And uh, several years ago, I just got to a point where I was never – and I guess, you know, even though I come off a little loud and extra, I – Deep down inside, I feel like I'm a humble person. So I'm not the type to ever just go around and be like, hey, I'm a rapper. Listen to my tape. You either know that I make music or you don't know. You know what I mean? So um, the title rapper to me just seems like an overused title. Just like every girl that's somewhat pretty on Instagram all of a sudden is a model. Same thing. You know, one thing that you told me a while back was that some people may know you for for your raps. Mm -hmm. Some of those same people may not like you as a rapper, but they like you as a commentator. And so they can kind of pick and choose which tubby that they actually like and then kind of stick with that brand. You know, before social media even started really blowing up and, you know, a lot of my friends that that have been following me or known me for a long time, they can attest to this. I knew early on back in high school with the chat forums, I knew that the internet was going to be the thing of the future. And as much as I love my music, I'm not a gangster. I don't, you know, I, I can't give you these crazy stories and you know when i when i was coming up that was the main genre of rap you know so i always felt like i had a charismatic personality i always thought that i was somewhat funny so just me always being on the internet from early on before myspace there was friendster and i was on friendster i was just out there doing my thing and it was just something that i did for fun so you know i make a certain type of music and i don't expect everyone to like my style of music but at the same point if you like comedy or if you just like getting on the internet and seeing funny shit i felt like i always kind of had that so you know i feel a lot of rappers are arrogant but i'm pretty self-aware not everyone's gonna like my music so there's a lot of people i know that like my uh like following me on social media or like my youtube videos but don't necessarily bump my music and that doesn't bother me you Mm -hmm. know i'm i'm pretty aware of that so i feel like a lot of rappers are one-dimensional or a lot of these artists are one-dimensional they got good music but nowadays you have to have a a presence you have to have a social media presence or you just have to have a presence in person a lot of these rappers i feel like don't and i guess rappers ain't even the good word a lot of these artists i would even go as far to say entertainers i mean most of them just have a gimmick you know look look at takashi 69 i mean like he is a full-blown gimmick but that's, you know, he's kind of a prime example. Like a lot of these older MCs, right? The purists, they look at Takashi, right? And he's, you know, you could say he's the hottest rapper in New York. Now, when I say he's the hottest rapper in New York, he is not lyrically the most talented rapper in New York, but he's got the most notoriety at this point. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, with his story, that you know, you kind of got to make that own determination, but how many dope New York rappers probably look at a guy like Takashi and be like, man, 
this is a circus. This makes me no longer want to do this shit. That's kind of how I felt about things here. You know, there's a lot of good things going on. There's a lot of great talent. But I started looking around and I started seeing a bunch of Takashis. And mm -hmm. especially like on certain uh, formats like Facebook. Now, as a guy who looks at the music scene as a whole, there's X amount of rappers, X amount of talented artists. But when you add Facebook into the equation, that number is now doubled, right? So now you've got all these artists, but half of these guys don't go to shows. You don't see them within the the same you know circuit. And a lot of these guys, I feel like, are just posers. And so, so how is it, how important is that to to be a part of the community and, like you said, go to the shows? It, I mean, I guess it ultimately boils down to what is it that you want to do? Do you want a legacy? Do you want to be known as a guy who contributed? to the scene who made good music that's going to last far longer than your popularity or your presence or whatever words you want to use. Like, it, I guess it boils down to what it is, that, what is it that you want to do? Do you Adding want to the culture? Yeah. Do you want to, are you doing this just to be a cool guy and get laid? And, and, you know, I always tell a bunch of these young rappers that I deal with, if you knew right now that you were never going to get a deal, you're never going to get signed. You're never going to blow up. Would you continue to do this? And if the answer is no, you know that you're doing it for the wrong reason. You might not ever admit that to me. You might not that ever admit that to everyone else, but you and your heart know if you knew that this was never going to get anywhere, would you still continue to make music? Would you still continue to put time to go to the studio? Would you still take time away from whatever it is that you're doing to write good music? And, you know, only that person knows that question. But for me, being a purist, I look around at a lot of these guys and I just see guys that are trying to chase clout or chase fame or pussy or whatever it is and to me right that's corny you know my uh my friend jared mayer brought up this point where he's said he's been a nerd like his entire life right, right? and now he's seeing this like abundance of people all of a sudden claiming nerddom right yeah, and yeah. he <laughs> you know it's it's exacerbated by the uh the marvel wave right right and so he looks at that as like those are pop culture enthusiasts Mm -hmm. versus like true fans. Right. And that, that, that seems like there's a similarity oh, there yeah, in what absolutely. you're talking about. Absolutely. You know, uh, when guys like uh, Sky Division started to pop, uh, Darius especially, these were like... Uh, this is a local group. Local group. What I liked about them was they weren't, as far as Anchorage goes, little backstory. So I was in Fairbanks doing my music thing for a long time. About, I don't know, about nine years ago, I moved to Anchorage. I had a daughter. Um who her mom lives in Anchorage and I was doing a bunch of music with uh, doing a bunch of stuff with Bay Dilla and out the cut. Uh, we had a studio together. I worked closely with a lot of those guys and they were street rappers. And for a long time that if you're a rapper in Alaska, you were a street rapper, you're a gangster rapper for the most part. And then um, when sky division blew up and started doing their thing, these were guys that were not gangsters. Darius, if you know who Darius is, he's, the complete opposite of a gangster, right? And uh, I like that type of rapper who is, you know, not necessarily a nerd, but they're not street guys. They're not tough guys. They're just musicians. But like you said, now it's become a thing where like now that's the cool thing. Um, another thing that I don't like about rap is when, you know, I guess this just sounds like an old, an old head just venting about music right now, but <laughs> it used to be uh, rappers would rap about selling dope. And now the junkies are pretty much like the guys leading the pack. Like a lot of these rappers, you know, they rap about drinking Cody and they rap about doing blow, which, you know, it's it was one of those things where it wasn't 
too long ago, you wouldn't just openly admit that. Mm-hmm. Now rappers are talking about taking a bunch of perks and taking. A, so I feel like the whole shit has changed, and I guess it's not. Well, you necessary. had rappers like Lil White doing that, and right. you had people. I mean, he, he was oh, kind yeah. of on the fringes, For but sure. but I think that when Lil Wayne came into the picture and his obvious drug use, you know, it was right. it was pretty open about it. Right. I think that you can draw a direct correlation between rappers like Takashi 69 who is a bad knockoff right, of right. Lil Wayne yeah. to Lil Wayne. And you yeah. have all these like little mini Lil Waynes now. And I'm not necessarily saying that uh, druggy rappers are bad because let's, let's be honest, Eminem started to suck when he sobered up, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. So it's not necessarily... I got a thing with rappers who do drugs. I'm, you know, I'm a rapper who used to do drugs. But uh, <laughs> it's just... it's I, I always joke with the boys. So... You know, rappers, especially like in the Bay Area, would talk about taking ecstasy or thiz. If you're, you know, if you're familiar with the rap, especially Bay Area rap, there's thiz nation and uh, thizzles is just another word for like taking ecstasy and shit like that. So, Mac Dre. Yeah. So we we look at these guys like the little Uzis, the 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 uh, little babies. These guys, are, some of them make really good music, but I look at all of them. and I'm like, oh, the thiz babies grew up. And now the Fizz babies are now old enough to make music. And that's these guys that we see that some of us may think are trash, right? And they're taking all types of drugs and they just look crazy. And, you know, this is coming from a guy that's got shit on his face too. But some of these guys, they just look crazy. So I'm always joking like, oh, the Fizz babies grew up and they took over the rap shit. And that's kind of what we're looking at now. But just like I always told the older heads before me, there's still quality dope shit. Just now I feel like with the internet, you just got to look a little bit harder. But that's no different than digging in crates and finding dope records to sample, in my opinion. I tend to go off topic a lot. No, no, that's good. You know, I um, I, I kind of want to hear what your perspective on this is. So how, how would you describe the Alaska hip hop scene to someone who's completely unfamiliar with it? Um, I guess right off the bat, you know, as a guy who traveled and stuff, people that aren't from Alaska, they just, they're so ignorant, right? They just don't think that there's anything going on up here, let alone music. But I guess if I had to describe to somebody, I think one thing that's really, really good about um, being in Alaska, I know it was like this in Fairbanks, and I feel like it's kind of the same way here. Because of the military bases that we have here and because of the pipeline, I feel like Alaska is a big stirring pot of different cultures, right? So I feel like musically and just artistically that's benefited us because you've got guys from different parts of the country, different parts of the world that somehow make it to Alaska and either they have kids or they do music or whatever like that. So I feel like with the Alaskan hip hop scene, it's such a wide range of good music. Now there's a bunch of bullshit, right? But when it comes to the good stuff, there's something for everybody. You know, you've got guys like Josh Boots, who is like the quintessential Alaskan rapper, um, raps about real life situations. Then you got guys like Duckman, who is like a gangster rapper, who, in my opinion, is the best rapper in Alaska. Great rapper, uh, very talented pen, uh, great beat selection, makes great music. He's a gangster rapper, though. He raps about street shit and he's not just making a bunch of bullshit like his stuff is authentic then you got a guy like matt angler who again is as alaskan as it can get a true mc a battle mc um married hard-working blue-collar man got family and he raps from that perspective you got guys like darius who's very uh eccentric makes different style of like melodic music you've got guys like me who you know i i feel like you know i make serious music but a lot of my music is party oriented, right? Getting crazy, partying with girls. So I feel like there's something for everybody. And 
I don't, I guess I'd feel that way now, but up until recently, I felt like the local scene was going to really blow up because of the amount of talent. But the other problem about local rap, and I'm sure this, this is everywhere, but there's a lot of internal hate that goes on within the scene. You know, artists just hate on each other and people kind of block each other's moves. I think that hinders us a lot. But if we're just talking musically, I think the good thing about Alaska is there's so many different types of artists and a lot of them are just great artists. So whatever type of rap you listen to, there's somebody here that does that. What would you say to those people that are uh, basically have the big fish in a small pond mentality? You know, these other rappers that are just like hating on the rapper that's right next to him as opposed to, you know, uniting. I'm going to be super honest with you. A big factor, you know, for those who have listened to my podcast uh, in September, I pretty much went on a hiatus. I stopped the Man Cave Project, which was basically a podcast dedicated to the local hip hop scene. I feel like, uh, you know, I've done a lot for the scene and uh, those that know me can attest to that. And I feel like I started just hearing just negativity from people that I was helping out. And, you know, when, when I say I was helping out, not necessarily I'm trying to do them a favor, but I'm trying to build the scene and help cultivate the scene. I've been here for a long time. I've got these relationships and guys that I was, you know, getting involved with things that I was doing. You know, I kept hearing these things over the last year. Oh, Tubby's a culture vulture. And uh, I started hearing this from artists that I felt like I was helping them with their growth. I felt like we had good relationships. And then you start hearing things. And I felt like what it was was here's this guy from Fairbanks who comes to Anchorage, starts doing these things, doing these shows. And some people just didn't like it. And I think I get a lot of uh, resistance from certain people because I'm not born and raised in Anchorage. And I think that's crazy because the objective is to have Alaska grow musically as a whole. So there's a lot of hate. And I just I, I think that's just one of the things where a lot of rappers are insecure. And, you know, well, I think that's an Alaskan thing, too. I mean, yeah, if you're if you're a sure. snowboarder and you go to Valdez and you're from Anchorage, I right. mean, this happened to my dad in the 90s when he was doing king of the hill and he had a little bit of resistance because he was from anchorage and it's like hey i'm from alaska we need to all band together for sure for this thing to work but i think it's this this pervasiveness of localism you yeah. know it's like it's tribalism right and i feel like some people view it as like a like a rat race and again it boils down to whatever it is that, that's your objective and my objective is not to get signed or to blow up I'm just doing what I like to do. I, I, I've been doing music for a long time. I got into kind of a position where I could provide opportunities for other artists. And, you know, you've seen it firsthand. Like I spend my own money to make things happen. And I don't ask much from other artists other than be professional. And I feel like some people started to take that as a threat. And for me, like I said on my last podcast, once it became too much of a headache and there was too many negative feelings involved, it no longer became fun. Um, I, I, I got into this because it was fun. I didn't get into rap music because I was like, oh, I'm going to be famous and rich. And I just did it because for the first time in my life, it was something that I felt accepted at. I didn't feel like I was a skateboarder when I was trying to skateboard and a bunch of my friends were good skaters. I didn't feel like that was me. I didn't feel like I was really welcomed because that wasn't me. I got into hip hop because that was the first time I felt welcomed and it was something that gave me a sense of purpose. Over the last couple of years, as my name and as things started to pop off here locally, I started getting a lot more hate. At that point, I was just like, okay, why am I 
why am I spending all these hours and all this money on something? And it just, it's not, I felt like the love wasn't being reciprocated. And I feel like that's just a, a thing that's always going to happen. Do you feel like maybe there was an element of you feeling betrayed? Uh, not necessarily betrayed. I just, my, you know, I'm a sensitive guy. And when it comes to things that I care about, I'm extra sensitive. And so. To clarify, not necessarily betrayed by an individual person or people, but by the culture. Because you said that you're you're looking for this home, right? You didn't find right. it in skateboarding, but you found it in hip hop. Right. And then all of a sudden you you put all this energy and this time into creating something that right. helps promote it. And then you have people talking shit behind your back. For sure. And, you know, it just, it, it was just, I don't know. It just was really, uh, it just kind of made me look at things differently. You know, I'm like, you know, and then there's other things that I've always wanted to do, but hip hop took so much of my time and energy. Like, uh, you know, I, I want to get into the comedy world. You know, I want to, I want to do that. And, you know, I'm like, I could be focusing energy on that instead of focusing energy promoting artists who for whatever reason whether it be the fact that i'm not black or because i'm from fairbanks whatever it is they just i felt like i was getting shitted on by guys that i was doing a lot for and just when when that happens you know just like well why am i still doing this um i think the hip-hop scene now is still blossoming I, I, there's a lot of great talent but i feel like you know, it sounds corny, especially when it comes about when it comes to music. But we have to band together and we have to help each other. That's the only way the scene's going to blow. That's the way it happened in Miami. That's the way it happened in Houston, Atlanta. These areas where you see the scene just booming, it's because all these artists help each other. You look at you look at Miami. All these artists in Miami that are big, they all work with each other. They all help each other. Same thing with Houston. Same thing with even the Bay Area. And I felt for a period. That was what was going to happen with Alaska is, okay, we've got a bunch of people that are slowly starting to do their thing and everyone's working together. You and me did the noisy thing. We brought a bunch of people in and a lot of people that were at that house that day. And this noisy thing, this was with, with Vice, their, yeah. their noisy vertical, and they came to Alaska um, to film a documentary that still hasn't been released. I have my theories as to why that, why that hasn't been released. And it's, <laughs> um, but some of the people that were at that house... You know, once that did not air, all of a sudden, now Tubby's a culture vulture. Now, oh, I don't, I don't really fuck with him like that. But when, when we had the noisy party, you're right there, and I'm big homie, and everything's cool. And when we're doing Tubby and Friends shows, everything's cool. But then when, like right now, right, we're preparing for the next season of Tubby and Friends. Now, all of a sudden, these rappers that I haven't heard from six months. And Tubby and Friends is your... Tubby and Friends is a, is a show, is a series that I started a few years back. We do about four four or five shows a year throughout the state. And it's a, it's a show where I basically bring anywhere between six to a dozen of the hottest local artists. And we do these shows and I host them. And they've been really successful. The last one we did, well, the last two we did, we did one with you. And then we did one with Freddie Gibbs. That was in April, I believe. Okay. But uh, yeah, we do. I do these shows, and again, this is something that I pay for out of my own pocket. And uh, you know, we do these shows showcasing the best in the state and giving people a good time and letting people see, like, hey, this local rap scene is is blossoming. And not only that, we've done I don't know, probably in the last three years, we've probably done a couple dozen shows. Not one bad incident, no violence, and that was something that I've always was really proud of was the fact that we could do these rap shows, these local rap shows that were safe and fun. And I think that's a big reason why the Tubby and Friends shows are so successful is people know that they can come to these and have a good time. They don't got to worry about no drama. Some people that aren't really big into the hip hop scene, I know they've got their little, 
you know, uh, their thoughts on what they think it is. And so that was a big reason for Tubby and Friends was just to promote the local hip hop scene and show that it could be a positive thing. And so for those that don't know, the Denali Park is a tourist spot in between Fairbanks and Anchorage. And in the summer, it's just, it's so fun down there. A lot of people are down there, a lot of tourists. And uh, the end of the season is in August. And at the end of the season, we're going to do the first Tubby and Friends show at uh, 49th Brewery down there. So we'll, we'll be doing two shows this summer down there. So let's talk about your podcast, Tubby's Man Cave. So I've been big into podcasts for a long time. Um, I started going into this, going to the slope in 2007, and uh, there was a hip-hop podcast. To, to this day, you know, podcasts right now are starting to blow up, especially hip-hop podcasts, but the first really dope hip-hop podcast was called Juan Epstein with uh, Peter Rosenberg and Cypher Sounds. And, uh, you know, these are two guys that are nerds, but they're both hip-hop DJs, uh, very respected in the hip-hop scene. And they would they were the first guys that I would listen to while I was on the slope, and they would basically just talk shit about local hip-hop or about hip-hop stuff and play music. So Juan Epstein, uh, I became a fan of, and they'd interview guys like Jay-Z and um, Snoop Dogg and stuff like that. And uh, so podcast was something that I was all, already really big into early on. And then when 907hiphop.com started in 06, which is a website that I started, we did a thing on there called Hellraiser Radio with me and DJ 5050. And before I even knew the concept of podcasts, we were already doing these things. We were uh, interviewing like Joke of the Bail Bondsman, uh, interviewing A-Cream, and uh, I would crack jokes in between the interviews and stuff like that. So it was just kind of something that I was already getting into without realizing it. And then I had a podcast for a couple of years called Tubby Stupid Podcast. That podcast <laughs> was me, DJ 5050 in our studio, and I would just get stoned, get on on the computer, and just basically talk about whatever I saw on Facebook or whatever headline and just random bullshit. We did that for a couple of years, but it had no structure. And it got to a point where I moved to Anchorage and was like, okay, well, let's stop doing that. Then Janie, my, uh, my girl, she was pregnant with our daughter and I could no longer smoke in the apartment. So I had to go downstairs into the garage that I wasn't using and I'd go down there and get stoned. And then after a while, I'd start bringing in a couch and a table and then guys like Darius and Starbucks would come over and we'd just get stoned in the garage and just talk about whatever we're talking about. And I started recording it. Then I realized, oh, this is kind of fun. Maybe we'll just play local rap music. Well, then it became me in my garage getting stoned while Janie and my daughter was sleeping. And I'd be in the garage playing local rap music and just cracking my jokes and talking my shit. And that's how Tubby's Man Cave Project started. And then it just kind of went from there. People started listening. Um, local rappers started sending me music to play. And it was really cool. And, you know, it was fun up until uh, this summer. And then finally, after I think it was 72 episodes or 71 episodes. It was 72. Yeah. I decided to uh, pull the plug on it for the time being. And you made that decision because in that episode, you, you said it stopped being fun. Yeah. There was a, uh, I talked about it in my Tubby Blog Awards, which is a, a little thing that I got on my Tub Life site. And uh, I did a podcast style where I was just talking about the year and music and uh, I said then, I was like, you know, 2018 was a rough year for me. So um, I've been on the slope for 12 years. I'm, I'm gone probably 60 to 70% of the year. I've got two kids. I was missing a lot of time from my family, which was affecting my relationship with my girl. We split up the summer. And then I had to go to the slope and I had to go do a really long hitch uh, for a job that 
I really had no choice but to take because at the time I had split up with my girl and I just I needed the money. So I went back to the slope and I realized I was going to be there for about three months. And with the headache of dealing with family problems, um, now I'm up on the slope in the middle of nowhere for three months. I wasn't motivated to do the podcast anymore. And then these things were happening with other local rappers that was getting back to me. You know, just there was a lot of hate being directed at me for no reason that I could see. So at that point, I was like, okay, let's step back. I didn't know how long I was going to be on the slope. When I did my last podcast episode, I was, I'd only been there for about a month and I knew I was going to be there much longer. So I just, at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to figure out what I'm doing. And then if I ever felt compelled to come back, then at least now, you know, with the experience of Man Cave and with Tubby Stupid Podcast, I think the next one would be better if there was ever going to be a next one. So that was September. It's February. And uh, I think, you know, I want to do something. I don't know if I necessarily want to do a podcast just strictly about local hip hop, but I do like doing the podcast thing. And uh, I think this year I've got some exciting things. I want to share it, but I don't, I don't want to jinx it just yet, but. You've mentioned this a few times, and it keeps popping up in my head. I've been trying to figure out how to phrase it, but I've had experience where, you know, I put my own money into crude, and, sure. and I'm trying to support cultures in Alaska by, you know, um, exposing them to, to the rest of the world, like putting them on a, on a certain platform. And it seems like that's exactly what you've been trying to do with Tubby's Man Cave, with For all sure. of your different ventures. I mean, I've had a little bit of hate. Probably not as as much as you, just because of the nature of of hip hop. Right, right. Um, but what do you think brings the, all that hate in? I mean, is it jealousy or I'm is a, it? To be completely honest, rappers, myself included, right? We're a we're a particular bunch, and I guess you know not all of us, but I feel like rappers are very ego driven, right? Most rappers are pretty egotistical, if not super confident, and the people that are extremely confident very egotistical, usually are also equally insecure, myself included. I'm, this, I'm, you know, I'm no better, no different. I feel like with rap, because it's such a macho dog eat dog, I mean, it's, it's getting better, but I feel like just generally, I guess it'd be the same thing as like models, right? I'm sure the pretty girl in the room who is so gorgeous probably looks at the other pretty girl in the room and probably just low-key hates on her, mm -hmm. right? And I feel like that's a big thing with the rap. There's a lot of guys that don't have ego, but generally I feel like rappers are insecure. Um, rappers, you know, I feel like everyone wants to be the man. And I guess they just feel like to be the man, you've got to shit on the guy next to you. That's why a lot of rap crews don't last. I mean... Think of all the rap crews, even in, you know, in mainstream rap and otherwise, like most rap crews don't stick it out to the very end. And I think a lot of it has to do with ego. A lot of it has to do with insecurity. So if I had to just pick out why I feel like it's like that, I think it has to do with insecurities. It's just inborn within the... Yeah, I just, you know, I, uh, it's, it's a weird thing. It's just, you know, I always joke, even on Twitter, I'm always like, you know, there's nobody more defensive and insecure than a local rapper on Twitter. You know, they just, it's just one of those things. Like even when we put out that crude list of who I thought was the greatest rappers of all time, like I, that, I, you know what, that was a, that was a starting point. You and me, well, me through crude, I put out this list, right? The greatest rappers in Alaska. Mm -hmm. This was my opinion. And we went into it knowing like, okay, people are not going to agree with well, this And by list. the way, you've always been very clear about Whatever it is you're producing, this is your opinion. Right. 
And uh, I made, you know, I, I wrote an article for Crude basically praising 10 Alaskan rappers, right? I gave praise to 10 gentlemen who I did not even have to praise. I just wanted to write this list, right? People wanted the list. I wrote the list. And half the people on that list were upset of where they were placed on the list. And the people that weren't on the list, all of a sudden it's, oh, well, who the fuck is this guy to even have an opinion? And then it just, that was the first sign. I just spent this much time writing about 10 people that I didn't have to write about them. They didn't know I was writing about them. And it was all positive things. I didn't shit on nobody. And uh, at that point, I was like, man, like, I don't understand it. But at the same point, you know, I'm a little bit older and I think because of how I was growing up, right, I was never the big man on campus. I was never no jock. I just, I feel like luckily, you know, I've got self-deprecating humor. I, I don't have to take myself too seriously. I feel like a lot of these rappers, they take themselves way more seriously than they have to. I think that's a cause for a lot of the bullshit. So going back to your podcast, in a perfect world, if Tubby's Man Cave would have worked out, what would it look like right now? Like everything... Happen you know, exactly how you wanted it you to know, happen. One of the things that I thought, you know, and this probably added to the stress, and this is something that I've been dealing with uh, my whole life, I guess. But uh, a lot of people ask me, like, man, why don't you find a way to like monetize yourself? Like, what this, what the things that you do, you know, I've talked about it with Helen over at Showdown, who's someone I'm really close with, who she's somebody who uh, Showdown know, Productions, yeah, and uh, she's just somebody who, you know, I, I listen to her and, and you know, she's a smart individual and other people like her have asked me, you know, like, well, you've got to come up with a way to monetize this thing so you could do this for a living. With the podcast thing, it got it got to the point where it was getting popular enough where I started getting people wanting to sponsor it. Um, you know, shout out to Chris at Grass Station 49, who's still one of my best friends to this day, but, you know, they sponsored me. Then I discovered what Patreon was. And then once I got on that, started getting... Um, people there. It was cool because I started seeing money come in. It wasn't a lot, but I started to see, oh, the potential. And then like, you know, I'm, I'm a big podcast guy. So I, some of these guys that I listen to, I know they're making a living doing this. It got to the point where as money started coming in, I started now feeling a pressure to create. And me being a guy who just makes music and does my th my own thing, even with you, when I was writing for Crude, I noticed like, oh, for the first time, now I have a deadline on when I've got to turn this in. And I've never been that because I've been a blogger forever. So I just kind of do shit when I want to do it. I noticed a little bit of stress when I was writing for you, but it, it was still one of those things where you were super cool about it. And so I just, you know, I had plenty of time. But once the podcast started taking off to a point where at one point I was making $1,100 a month just doing the podcast thing, it started to feel like pressure. And I don't know if this is just me being a goober but as soon as there was like an obligation or like there was money involved or I felt like I had to produce, that took away from the fun. And I noticed that. And so, you know, I thought about this new uh, project that I've been thinking of and, you know, thinking of ways, you know, I, I've decided in December that I just, unless I absolutely have to, I don't want to go back to the slope. Um, luckily, my old lady has a good job. I had a good job and I was smart with my money to a certain extent. I do blow a lot of it. But um I'm going to try to stay home and, and not leave my kids anymore, which was a big problem. And uh, now that I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to go back to the slope. Maybe I should try to do the same thing again. I don't know if my next program, if I'm going to want to involve sponsorships because I feel like I just, maybe it's just me being a stoner slacker my whole life, but I just don't want to have to answer to anybody. And even though I didn't have to answer to Grass Station 49 or uh, my Patreon sponsors, 
there was just like a there was just an obligation that I didn't like. So where would Man Cave Project be right now? It prob you know, I, I think about that. I'm like, man, if I would have kept pushing it, maybe I would have, you know, maybe I'd be at two thousand dollars a month. Maybe but again, just like the music, I don't want money to be the reason why I'm doing it. I would like to find somewhere in between, right? But I think if the Man Cave Project was still around, it would probably be the same thing that it was when I left it. Just I would probably be making a little bit more money and I'd probably be a little bit more stressed out. And that's just the honest truth. I want to do, you know, I want to do a, a program. You know, I've got it in mind. It's a visual program. It'll be a podcast that's not just audio, but visual. And, and what it's going to take to have that happen is going to take a little bit of money. And so I'm kind of in this boat where I've got these people who are willing to give me money to make this happen, but then I kind of have to feel obligated to them or I can just save some money and do it on my own, but it's not going to happen as soon as I want it to. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with things is I've got this thing that I want to put out, but it's going to take a little bit of cheese and uh, I want I want to use my own money to do it. But in order for me to do that, I've got to wait a little bit. Well, using your own money to, to do this, you have complete creative control. For sure. For sure. And, you know, it's just one of those things, especially guys like us, right? We're all about Alaskan independence and just being an independent creator. And, you know, not to sound like Joe Budden or anything, but creators, right? A lot of times creators aren't the best businessmen. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I have to be honest with myself. I'm not a great businessman. I, you know, you and me have talked about it in just going to get coffee. I don't like chasing money. I have a hard time going to a, a person and asking them to fund something that I want to create. So, you know, I don't know if I need to find me a business manager to do that, but um, I think right now I want to get back to just creating some good content. And once we get to that stage where maybe we want to get uh, sponsors and investors, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I feel like for Alaska, we need more we need more personalities. We've got a bunch of rappers. We've got DJs, but we need somebody to put it all together. And I feel like there's not that many people that could do that. I feel like I can do that. I feel like Alaska Red could do that. Um, Reggie Ward, even though he's getting older in age, he does that. Um, even Don Mega at one point was kind of a person that could do that. There's not a lot of people like us, personalities. I hate the word public figure because when I see it on Instagram, when someone's like, Public fig, I hate that. But <laughs> you need people like that in whatever scene that you're in. And so at, at a certain point, I started to just kind of accept the fact that, okay, that's going to be me. I'm going to be that guy. But mm -hmm. back to what we were talking about before, when I feel like it's not appreciated, then I got to ask myself, why am I doing it? Mm -hmm. But anyway, more rambling from your boy Tubby. <laughs> Every year you release a list of your favorite hip-hop artists, both mainstream and local, as well as some of your favorite local restaurants and weed strains, right? Yeah. And that's called Tubby Awards? The Tubby Blog Awards. Tubby Blog Awards. So like I think about 10 years ago, I was just writing these like year-end reviews on MySpace. Like, back on the MySpace days, you had like a little blog section. And uh, at the end of every year, I just write my list. I was always like a list maker. I'd always write like lists. I think a lot of people do. I know you do too, but uh, – yeah, like I, it had to have been. I like, don't think I make lists. Are you not a list guy? I'm not. A, well, I mean, I, I in my notebook, yeah, I have no, lists. Yeah, like yeah. even when we go get coffee, like when yeah. you and you're talking, you're always jotting it down. Like you're the only person other than me and Janie that I know that does that. Oh, like, okay, okay. I thought you meant like listicles, like journalism. No, like no, just, articles. just a natural. Like even like when I wake up in the morning or the night before, because I smoke a lot of pot, I write my list of what I got to get done the next day or that day. Because if I don't have a list, 
my brain wanders. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I do that same thing. Yeah, you should I go see how the, many. Oh, I think yeah. you. I think you've seen all my notebooks <laughs> at my house. Yeah, it's yeah. absurd. Yeah, you got a lot. You got a lot. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm a list maker. The the wife is a list maker. But anyway, yeah. So ten years, maybe even longer than that. I've been writing these year end lists, and uh, you know, I'm not. I don't consider myself a foodie, but people that follow me on social media, they know that my ass can't cook. So I go out to eat a lot more than I care to admit. And obviously I'm a big pothead. So um, yeah, this year actually was the first year where I uh, wrote, uh, I had a category when it came to like local marijuana strains. But yeah, I'm, I like to write my little list every year who I think is like the best uh, artists mainstream locally. Um, I'll do uh, my favorite restaurants. Um, I like to do a lot because I'm on social media pretty heavily. I like to write my list of like local personalities, the hottest chicks on social media, which I got a lot of air quotes. Yeah. I got a lot of flack for that one this year, but uh, (laughs) yeah. So what's your favorite weed strain? uh, So Mandarin cookies by uh, Tanana herb company is my favorite. And uh, I was in Fairbanks a lot this summer. Uh, Chris from grass station 49 and barely blunt. uh, He's a weed connoisseur. He manages the grass station 49 in Fairbanks and, the kid just knows his shit when it comes to marijuana. And so I'd go to his house at night and we'd smoke and he would put me on to different strains. Uh, I found Mandarin cookies and lemon ice pucker in Fairbanks this summer. And then when I came back down to Anchorage, I asked him like, Hey, what stores here carry those strains? So, um, Enlighten is on Spinard, which is like half a mile from where I live. So I go there almost daily. Um, there's another spot, uh, called uh, the House of Green that carries lemon ice pucker. Both both of those are uh, sativa hybrids, I believe. But yeah, I'm, I, I probably buy... Um, actually, I'm kind of proud. I'm down to a gram a day, which is about $20 a day. I had a really bad marijuana habit. It was close to $1,000 a month. Jeez. Now I'm down to $20 a day, which is basically like $600 a month. And that's that's if I keep things under control. I go to the weed store every day. I buy a gram, which is anywhere between 18 to $20. And I make myself, that has to last me the whole day. Sometimes I might go buy two. And then there'll be some days where I'm extra, extra strong in the mind and uh, I can go without. But yeah, I'm down to, I'm down to $20. Why did you cut down? Uh, well, even with, even with my sweet slope job, a thousand dollars a month on anything is a bad habit in my opinion. You know what I mean? If, uh, so back about a year ago, I started crunching the numbers and I realized that I was smoking about an eighth a day, which is 40 to $50 a day times 30 days. That's ridiculous. And even I had to come to that conclusion. Um, because I was a slope guy for so long, I was never home long enough to grow my own weed even though my brother's got a really good green thumb. But um, I told myself, I was like, you should not be smoking $1,000 worth of pot every month. Like, that's just crazy. So uh, right now I'm down to, like I said, $20 a day, which is about $600 a month. So for me, that's a big step. I'm uh, a big pot smoker, so I don't see me ever quitting. And it doesn't affect my uh, – actually, that would be a lie. It, would, it, it, was, <laughs> it was getting to a point where it was affecting me creating Okay. You know, I, I I would I smoke before I do my podcasts. I would smoke before I start writing music. Well, I think it becomes a crutch at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Like I need absolutely. to do this in yeah. order to create. Whereas, like in my experience, I've always been able to create something I'm more, most proud of when I'm clear headed. Yeah, it, for for me, it's I can do it, but for whatever reason, when I'm stoned, I think I'm funnier than I really am, probably. Um, so as far as me. 
you'll know when I'm stoned on Twitter because you'll just see like within an hour, oh, Tubby just tweeted like 10 times <laughs> and they're all just stupid. That's when you know like, okay, this fool's at home stoned or whatever. But um, yeah, it did become a crutch. But then it got to a point where I was smoking so much that things were not getting done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm already naturally a procrastinator and it just it got really bad. And so, you know, I, I love marijuana. It's up there on my loves of my life outside of my wife and kids and, and music. But uh, I've got to be able, as I said, as I get older, I got to start acknowledging when things are becoming counterproductive and it was getting counterproductive. Mm -hmm. But right now I, I wake up, I go to the gym in the morning most days. Some days I skip, but I try to go to the gym in the morning and I don't allow myself to smoke unless I go to the gym. Most days, not every day. Some days I fail, but um, I used to be a guy that would get up, smoke, smoke at lunch, smoke a couple hours later. I'm smoking four or five blunts in a day at my worst. So that was getting ridiculous. Now I'm down to like a blunt or two a day, which to me is like great. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I'm I'm, I'm happy to hear that. You know, yeah. I've uh, you mentioned procrastination. For sure. And with any contributor to Crude or with anybody that I've ever, I guess, mentored, one thing that I, I really pay attention to and I really try to like drive home is the most important thing that you can do is work on the work, right? Like right. I got in this mode when I was working on, and I was working on it full time at this point. I think it might've been maybe the the second or third issue. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Carrie would come home. My wife would come home and she'd be like, oh, you know, what did you get done today? You know, she's always been kind of like the yeah. managing editor in the <laughs> yeah. sense, like she's managing the right. editor, me. And so um, she'd be like, oh, what'd you get done today? And I'd be like, oh, I did a bunch of stuff. I was on the phone with this person for, for two hours. I went to the coffee shop and talked to this person. And she's like, okay, let me, let me stop you there. How much actual work did you get done today? Right? right. Because there, there's that, that facade of actually doing work when For you're sure. just talking to people sure. and and essentially what you're doing is just bullshitting right and then you know I, I actually started taking that into consideration and focusing on the actual work you know sitting down and you know doing the editing or nowadays sitting down every single morning and editing the podcasts nice. you know and and scheduling other podcasts because that's what's important i told myself at the beginning of the year i was like you know there's two things I definitely need to focus on. There's more than two, but financial management. I blow money really bad. Being a slope guy for the last 12 years, I'm not the best at uh, managing my finances. Thank God Janie is really smart when it comes to money. But another thing that I feel like uh, I need a lot of work on that I'm trying to work on this year is time management. You know, like I said earlier, when I feel obligated to do something, all of a sudden now I just naturally don't want to do it. It's mm -hmm. just weird when I, when it's just at my own on my own speed and my own schedule. I knock things out super quick. But when I feel like I'm on a time constraint, which is weird because a lot of the content that I'd put out, like even the Tubby Blog Awards, I don't remember what date I dropped it, but I remember like the week prior, I was like, Tubby Blog Awards coming next Sunday. Hadn't even started writing it yet, I, and then I, and then Friday comes around, and I'm like, Why did you? tell people that it was coming out on a certain date. <laughs> you, you gave yourself a deadline. I That's gave, why. And, yeah. And, and you I, made it an and, obligation. And, and I've been doing that forever. Even with music. I'm like, oh yeah, my new joint comes out next week. It's not even back from mixing and mastering yet. <laughs> and then now I'm stressed out. And, I'm, and so I told myself that even this year, I was just like, quit giving out like release dates for things that you aren't even finished with. Mm -hmm. Unless it's 100% finished, quit putting out release dates. Something that I've been just screwing up my whole life. But... Yeah, for me this year, time management is something that I've got to learn how to master because 
I don't got it. <laughs> I don't got it. I want to, you know, I want to be smarter with my money, but more important now, even being home with my children, I want to be smarter with my time. So now I make myself get up at five o'clock every morning, whether I go to the gym or I just sit at home and I read. That was the other thing. I was like, you haven't read in a long time. I used to read a lot when I was younger. I'm like, when's the last time you just sat down and finished a book and read a book? So there were certain things I told myself, like, you have to read one book a month. You have to just for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be smarter with your time. Um, I know that I'm more than likely not going to want to go to the gym at night after working or smoking or whatever. So I make myself go in the morning. Right. And so this year I want to focus more on time management and hopefully with whatever content that I produce, it'll be, it won't be, that was the other thing with the podcast thing, right? It, I was putting podcasts out on what Sundays or Mondays. That was something that I regret that I was like, why did you I get it. You need structure. But the minute I said, okay, I'm putting out a new podcast every Monday. I'm giving myself a deadline. And then next thing I know, I'm not doing the podcast until Friday, which only gives me Saturday and Sunday to edit. You of all people know how time consuming editing is. Next thing I know, now I'm editing in a hurry when I should really be listening to the content mm -hmm. and editing it the way it should be edited instead of doing a rush job. Things like that were little factors that made me not want to do the podcast anymore. I even was talking to uh, Fiki. Shout out to Fiki, the former engineer over at Frozen Founders. He's got his own thing that he's doing. He's got his own studio now. But I was just with him a couple of weeks ago and I was telling him, I was like, you know, maybe with the next program, I won't do everything myself because there's, like you said, there's so much work involved. Just recording the podcast and coming up with good content to, to talk about is one thing. Then you got to go and edit it. And there's all these other factors that people don't see. And it was just taking away from the fun. So I think with Man Cave, as cool as it was and for all the things that it did, it taught me a lot about what to do next time, what not to do and what to do. Yeah, I think that any any venture is always going to be a work in progress. For you know, sure. you mentioned you mentioned the slope. We've talked a little bit about the slope here, sure. but one thing that I know you like to take pictures uh, after your podcast interview, so I made sure I specifically wore the dead horse hoodie. I know I was actually looking at that. That's perfect. Um, but you have a. There's a recording studio up on the slope that you use, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we call it Area 51. We actually did a, a, a story on it for the Anchorage Press back when you were running that. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, I started going up to the slope in 2007 um, because I just, you know, I was your typical piece of crap kid with no real job. And, you know, I had all these musical dreams and I was doing illegal things to make those things happen. And it caught up to me. And uh, I had a friend who suggested me joining the laborers union. I didn't even know I didn't even know what that was. And he was like, you know, you basically go through an apprenticeship program, and they send you to the slope, and you learn a set of skills, and you can make really good money. We joke about it. We always say slope money or dope money. It's basically kind of like the equivalent. You make a bunch of money in a short period of time, but you're gone a lot. But when you're done, you've got a bunch of free time to do whatever you want. So I started going up to the slope to make money to fund my musical uh, dreams, which this was before having kids. And, uh, but being up there, it's, you know, for those that've been on the slope, there's nothing to do up there. It's just a frozen desert. And uh, just one day I happened to find a guy, you know, we, we talked about it in the, in the initial Anchorage press story, but we had, a, we kind of had to water it down, but uh, I was in dead horse looking for some weed. And uh, I found a guy who knew a guy who led me to another guy who introduced me to this kid who had a room in a shop up there. I won't say the name of the shop, but in this shop, this kid had a room. And in this room was his little makeshift studio. 
He was a producer. You know, uh, those who know me probably can guess who he is, but because I'm telling you the real story, I won't say his name, but uh, I met this kid. He was a producer and he was making these beats. And over eight or nine years, I watched this kid continue to build on this little studio that he had up there because he pretty much lives up there. And now we have a full-fledged studio up there. It's dope. We got couches, there's a TV, there's a full-fledged studio. And so uh, my last two projects that I made, I put out an, I put out an EP called Can't Let Go. Uh, that was in November, October, November, I believe. And then the, the album that I put out before that, Live from Dead Horse, all of that was written, recorded, and produced in Dead Horse, Alaska, which the studio is still there, Area 51. We call it Area 51 because only a couple of us know about it. And uh, yeah, it's it's dope. I, I even talk about it with my boy. Even if I don't ever go back to the slope, one of these days, I even told him, I was like, I want to bring Cody and Crude up there so they can actually see it firsthand because it's like a, it's the ultimate man cave. It's basically a double wide trailer that used to be like a mechanic shop, but they gutted it completely out. And it's basically like a big man cave. There's, a, there's literally a swing from the ceiling that you can swing on. And yeah, it's really cool. But um, the majority of the music that I've put out in the last few years has been done in Dead Horse. Which That's, I'll always be able to, you know, be proud of because I don't think anyone's recorded music up there other than me and my two partners. That's awesome. Yeah. So talking about Alaskan hip hop, what do you think is the most important Alaskan hip hop album of all time? The most important, if I had to say important, because that's the word that, you know, we're emphasizing, it would have to be Cold Weather Survival Guide. Uh, by Josh Boots. By Josh Boots. Now... Um, that's probably like the Illmatic of Alaskan rap. When you ask somebody, what's the best Alaskan rap album of all time? Cold Weather Survival Guide is like the safe answer. It's like asking somebody, oh, what's the best rap album ever come out of New York? Most, some people are going to say Illmatic. They don't even know Illmatic. They just say that because that's just a name that carries a lot of weight. Cold Weather Survival Guide is very important because it showed that that Alaskan rappers can really fucking rap. And I mean, those that know Josh Boots, you know, he's technically, in my opinion, the greatest MC of all time in Alaska. Is he my favorite rapper? And that was the thing about the goat list that we did. A lot of people had their views on it. That was the that, one released on crude. Yeah, you did. Yep. And you know, Josh Boots, I placed at number one and a lot of people would agree to that. Um, my favorite rap album of all time is probably back to the east by duckman um duckman that's that's relatively new right it came out yeah uh say two years ago i think two years ago. he just put out uh he just put out an album recently but um yeah i would say about two years ago but it, it's just a solid album by an artist sonically it's just well produced if there was a most likely to succeed from Alaska, Duckman, in my opinion, is number one. If there's going to be a guy who's going to sign or not even sign, but just blow up and become a successful mainstream rapper out of Alaska, Duckman is the guy. But yeah, back to your question. Cold Weather Survival Guide by Josh Boots is the Illmatic of Alaskan hip hop. If you're into technical lyricism, uh, flawless delivery, to this day, Cold Weather Survival Guide still holds weight as a great rap album. It is a great album. So to wrap this up. I've been in my house for two months. I could sit here talk with you all night. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in conversations we've had in the past, you always use this analogy of you in your old age, sitting on a rocking chair, listening to the music you've made, the articles you've written, and the podcasts you've produced, just reminiscing. For sure. And at the end of the day, 
That's why you do all of this, right? For sure. I always tell people that put out music, right? Especially like these young uh, quote unquote gangster rappers or these rappers talking about the money that they don't really have. I always tell them like, I understand that you're making music for the quote unquote, the masses, but ultimately you should be making whatever content that you're making, whether it be music or anything, you should be making it for yourself. Cause if you are a local rapper and you're lying in your music, which I'm going to tell you right now, 75% of these guys are liars, right? Just, and that's not just local rap. That's rap period. It's a lot of exaggeration, a lot of fairy tales, but you got to ask yourself when you're 40 years old and you're grown up and you're sitting on your porch and your kids are grown up and you're by yourself listening to the music, are you going to be able to listen to that music and, and be proud of it? Or are you going to be embarrassed by it? If you're rapping about things that don't really apply to your life, if you're talking a bunch of nonsense that, that isn't, you know, that's not part of your life, but you're doing it because you think that's what appeals to people. You're not going to want to listen to that shit when you're older. So, and you know, I, I'm the same way. I've got music that I've made when I was younger. I can't even listen. Uh, my biggest song probably other than Slope Boy is probably Pussy and Patron. I can't listen to Pussy and Patron anymore. <laughs> like it's so just, but that's the song that the kids want to see me perform when I do perform. It's still a popular song back home, but I, I cringe when I perform it because it's literally about Pussy and Patron. So, you know, I, I say this to other artists, not only as a guy who's older, but a guy who's done it myself, right? When I'm older, I'm not going to listen to Pussy and Patron. I'll listen to Slope Boy. I'll listen to songs that reflect my time at that point in my life. So just, yeah, everything has got to be for you first. I, I, I get it. You know, people want to do stuff for other people. But as a creator, you've got to create stuff that you're going to be proud of that's going to stand the rest of your life. And if if you're making stuff that does not, um, that isn't true and authentic, not even 10 years from now, 10 months from now, no one's going to care about it. You know, you're the one that's going to care about it. And if you've got fans or you've got children, you've also got to think about them when they listen to your music, when they grow up or when they look at your content, are you going to be proud of that? And this is coming from a guy who's, you know, I'm, I'm a little out there on social media and stuff, but I feel like when it comes to whatever it is your craft is, mine happens to be music, you have to stay authentic. And if you're doing stuff for popularity or money or fame or whatever, when you get older and you listen to that shit, you're going to know that you basically sold yourself to whatever that is. You know what I mean? So stay authentic, stay true, and you know, just be proud of the stuff you create. And don't be a fucking liar. <laughs> that's, that's my biggest thing. These rappers are liars, Cody. I'm telling you. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, Tubby. It was great talking to you. I love you, Bubba. You can support local grassroots journalism at patreon.com slash crude magazine. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a platform that makes it easy for you to support content that matters to our community for as little as $1 a month. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Intro music was produced by Alcoda Beats. 